practice of music that it has very deep connections with another practice like dance, you know, mm. could be something else, but in that case it's dance, is that it, it really reframes the way we think of what our priorities are. For me growing up, so I was studying, you know, classical music, but I was also accompanying uh, my dad's step dancing classes and sometimes um, social, you know, mm. dancing. Something I quickly realized was that the utmost priority of my playing needed to be like, will it drive and inspire the dancers? Are they going to have fun? Hi, you're listening to Conversations with Musicians with Leah Roseman. There's such a fascinating variety to a life in music, and this series features wonderful musicians worldwide with in-depth conversations and great music, with over 100 episodes to explore. For this week's episode, I was able to add some additional music to a special re-release with fiddler Alexis Chartrand, who has shared three tracks for you to listen to. His band camp and socials are linked in the show notes, so please go buy the tracks or albums if you like what you hear. Alexis talks very thoughtfully about his background as a son of dancers, about both groove and ornamentation in different traditional styles of fiddling, his explorations of tone color with Baroque violin, and some of his musical influences and inspiration. Like all my episodes, this is available wherever you listen to podcasts. The video of the original episode is on my YouTube, and the transcript is also linked to my website, leahroseman.com, where you can sign up for my weekly podcast newsletter and get access to sneak peeks for upcoming guests. Please do share this episode and consider following me on your preferred social media and supporting this podcast. Everything is linked to my website, and the support link is also directly linked in the show notes. Hey, welcome. Alexis Chartrand, amazing fiddler and innovator. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So you're in Montreal, mm-hmm. and I know you're going to play some music for us today. Do you want to start with a tune? Oh, yeah, I could. Um, yeah, could play a little, um, a little uh, Quebecois jig mm-hmm. from uh, the repertoire of uh, Joseph Allard. So. Uh, Joseph Allard was a fiddler uh, who was born in, in the end of the 19th century, uh, and he lived until the mid-20th century. And uh, he was known as the, the Prince of Fiddlers, and he also was the teacher of um, the first teacher of Jean Carignan. Mm-hmm. So uh, his musical legacy um, has been quite uh, important. So here, yeah, a little jig. Thank you. 
Beautiful. Yeah, that was you. just gorgeous. I was just thinking about the fact that, of course, you're playing with a mic and you perform with a mic. But uh, often, yeah. Yeah. So back in the day, of course, people were playing in kitchens, but they would have, you know, big dances for the community and they'd have to kind of crank it out. So that it must have changed people's playing to be able to do more subtle things as they had amplification, do you think? Um, I think the the question of amplification does have uh, a fair bit of um, of impact on on the playing. Mm -hmm. um, my playing is not always amplified, and uh, I, I really um, I like uh, to be able to do both, mm -hmm. and it's something that I really um, try to make a, a part of my practice not to leave you know either. Mm -hmm. um, um, out uh, of it and so um, I do adapt my playing for you know whether I'm playing um, acoustically or in, in a bigger hall or in a smaller hall mm -hmm. or whether I'm playing um, with, a, with a microphone and a PA in a bigger space or in a smaller space um, and I think you know both setups are um, are interesting for different reasons um, and I like to 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 be uh, sensitive and mindful of that fact. Um, regarding playing uh, the, the playing of uh, older Quebecois fiddlers, uh, they they didn't necessarily have access to amplification, especially in the earlier part of uh, the 20th century. But um, it became something quite normal. Um, you know, pretty, you know, early during the revival, uh, as some of these fiddlers, um, you know, were, were starting to to be showcased in, in events, mm -hmm. you know, um, in festivals, in uh, different settings. And, um, I mean, if we're talking about dance music, then often the, the communities that gathered to dance, um, it wasn't hundreds of people, mm -hmm. you know. And so it was possible for, you know, a fiddler or a small ensemble to, you know, drive the, the dance forward with, uh, with acoustic instruments. You know, and that's how it was, it was really done in, in those communities for, um, for, you know, many decades. So let's talk about dance. It's a big part of your life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew up in a family of dancers. My, <laughs> my mom, Anne-Marie Gardet, is... Um, a specialist of Baroque dance. She participated in uh, the recreation of uh, those dances in France uh, in the, the 80s, um, notably with Rise Danserie, Francine Lancelot. Uh, so people who did some research in, you know, how to find ways to, to recreate what was basically the, the direct ancestor of uh, ballet. Mm -hmm. And uh, and my dad Pierre Chartrand uh, is a step dancer, Quebecois step dancer, a caller, so someone who um, does a kind of uh, half speaking, half uh, singing to explain the dance. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's uh, an American tradition that arrived in in Quebec in the twenties or thirties. And uh, they both also are dance researchers, so they, they've done some historical um, research and ethnological research on Baroque dance, on the dance that was danced in uh, Nouvelle-France, so in the early uh, French colony on the what is now uh, the Quebec and Maritime Territories. Um, 
and uh, my dad also um, has done a lot of ethnological studies on the social and uh, solo dancing in uh, mostly in Quebec but also in the Maritimes and a little bit in Ontario. So would that be a tradition that was carried down just by showing people because with Baroque I know things were actually written down right there's like uh, yeah, written the, descriptions. Uh, Baroque dance has uh, in, in France uh, there's the notation Beauchamp Feuillet mm -hmm. um, so there are scores for those dances um, and uh, my mom learned to decipher those things and she can uh, recreate choreographies that were notated that way. Um, so that's a big part of, of the work of you know, Baroque, uh, contemporary Baroque dancers. For, what, uh, for the um, traditional dance, um, it's based more on collecting. You know. mm -hmm. uh, there are some written sources because people have been taking note of um, what was danced during uh, dance evenings or uh, during social events for a very long time. But um, the practice, the actual movements of, of the step dancing, the actual movements of the social dancing, the quadrille, the square dances, cotillon, the confidence, um, we, we had living sources of these things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, people like um, Simone Voyer or Normand Legault were pioneers uh, in uh, in Quebec of going and meeting those people who still knew those dances and uh, filming, learning those dances and transmitting that, uh, that knowledge and that practice to uh, the, the new generations. This track you're about to hear is called La Petite Marche from the album Le Tranino with Colin Savoie-Levac on guitar and Alexi is playing modern violin. Thank you. 
Hi, just a short break from the episode, which I hope you're enjoying so far. If you want to check out over 100 episodes you may have missed, in addition to your podcast player or YouTube, I have an extensive website, leahroseman.com, with show notes, transcripts, the complete catalogue of episodes, and you can sign up there for my weekly newsletter to get access to sneak peeks of upcoming guests. Please do share your favourite episodes with your friends, follow me on social media, and share my posts. And if you can spare a few dollars to help support the series, that would be amazing, and you can find that link in the show notes. I'm an independent podcaster, and I really do need the help of my listeners. Now back to the episode. So often when you play, you use your feet as percussion. Mm-hmm. I think in English, do we call that clogging? Uh, clogging is uh, more of a, of a word that we use in England. Mm-hmm. And it references English step dancing. Okay. So in um, so the, the what we call like foot tapping or foot percussion, percussion mm-hmm. is quite specific to uh, francophone uh, traditional music in mostly in eastern Canada, so Quebec, mm-hmm. a little bit of Ontario, and in the Maritimes. Um, in in Prince Edward Island, they even call it um, la gigasise. So they they have some uh, um, some little choreographies that they can do um, while sitting down. Um, it's uh, its origins are unclear. There's not a lot of uh, very specific research. Uh, the earliest written sources of it, I think, are from the early 20th century. Uh, but it really it's something that really most fiddlers um, from you know just before the 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 first half of the 20th century, I think we're doing in Quebec. Uh, so the, the the Quebecois fiddlers, like uh, you know, the ones we we all uh, we all know now, it's like Carignan foot tapped and uh, Louis Boudreau foot tapped and André Alain. So all of these people were self-accompanying with their feet, um, and it it became um, it really it it become a, a staple of. Uh, like an, an identifying staple of Quebecois traditional music, mm-hmm. and it's become uh, deeply associated with um, the image uh, of Quebecois traditional music, both locally and internationally. Um, and it's something that you know almost every fiddler I know, at least, uh, has learned how to do. And uh, whether they they do it on stage or often um, depends on their their preferences. So. You have an incredible groove in your playing and flexibility. When you were learning to do the foot percussion with playing, was it hard to coordinate when you were a kid? Um, I think if we're talking about groove, um, in, in, in my mind, it, it has more to do with dance than it has to do with foot tapping. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the interesting thing about a, a, like, um, um, a practice of music that it has very deep connections with another practice like dance, you know, mm. could be something else, but in that case it's dance, is that it, it really reframes the way we think of what our priorities are. You know, and for me growing up, um, so I was studying, you know, classical music uh, here in Montreal, but I was also accompanying, you know, my dad, uh, my dad's step dancing classes and sometimes um, social you know, mm-hmm. dancing. And something I quickly realized was that the utmost priority of my playing needed to be like, will it drive and inspire the dancers? Mm-hmm. 
-hmm. is that are they going to have fun? You know, are they going to want to dance? Are they going to enjoy that? You know, and without even going into the technical uh, necessities um, of that goal, you get a pretty strong and immediate feeling of whether you're doing uh, good or not. Mm -hmm. you know? And then um, especially contrasting that with a more academic um, learning experience in classical music, it's a very, very interesting and to my, to my um, uh, mind, healthy way of reframing what we need to think and to think about and prioritize when we're playing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and then once we've, you know, understood that the, that was the goal, um, I mean, then we can start learning. You know, I, I learned a lot from step dancers, listening to the sound of, of uh, their feet to the, the inherent groove that they've developed. Um, to me, that's really the, the basis of um, my practice of, of uh, the bow. You know, all of the, the rhythms that we have mm -hmm. to, to um, summon with the, the traditional uh, style of, of bowing um, personally is deeply, deeply related to uh, the practice of tap dancing in Quebec. Mm -hmm. This next track is Gigue Québécoise en sol with Nicolas Babineau and Alexis is playing Baroque violin on this track. Thank you. 
So in the description of this conversation, there'll be links to your, your albums and lots of things so people can hear the, the footwork. But I, I don't think, are you set up now with a board? Could you? Uh, no, not right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, I didn't no. figure. No. Um, but you do have another instrument by your side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, um, I took out the a Baroque violin that uh, is being lent to me by uh, a very uh, nice uh, friend and, and colleague, Alex Keeler. Uh, from the Eastern uh, townships, and that's uh, that's been part of my practice for uh, a few years now. Um, I've been um, exploring the idea of um, um, adapting traditional uh, Quebecois music for uh, a historical instrument. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that hasn't been done a lot in Quebec. I know of some uh, musicians. Uh, in Quebec City, that Baroque mm -hmm. musicians who played a little bit of uh, Quebecois music. There's some uh, Baroque violinists in Montreal that have done a little bit of that. And obviously, if we look outside of Quebec, uh, people like uh, David Greenberg have mm -hmm. done an amazing, and really amazingly inspiring work on the uh, the connections and, mm -hmm. and you know between um, Baroque violin and uh, fiddling. Um, but not a lot of it has been done specifically with the uh, Quebecois repertoire. Mm -hmm. And so I've, uh, um, I've been very interested in, uh, in trying to make that happen, uh, while keeping in mind that it is, you know, intrinsically anachronistic. Um, because the sources we have for Quebecois fiddling are way too recent for them to have uh, been linked with historical instruments, you know. And the, the, the style of playing of Quebecois fiddlers, um, they're, they're deeply um, indebted to, you know, the, the modern violin, the modern construction of the, of the violin, but especially the modern construction of, of the bow. Mm. And obviously, um, I mean, people who are familiar with, uh, you know, the way bows are made will, will recognize some of the characteristics of a modern bow with its uh, quite long length, you know, mm -hmm. it's pretty intricate um, frog here. 
um, the, it has uh, some uh, garnishes and it has a screw that allows for you know making the um, the hair more or less uh, tense um, which which are all things that um, I do not have on the Baroque bow I use you know it's a very primitive uh, style of bow it's much shorter you know it fits on the whole screen right now uh, it has no um, it has pretty much nothing on the frog it doesn't have a screw uh, it's a little piece of wood that just clips in mm -hmm. place and I use a little piece of um, um, I think this is um, leather uh, to decide how much tension I use and uh, it's it's bent uh, differently so it mm -hmm. reacts deeply differently and that's been uh, I think a big part of, of my work on the instrument has been trying to find ways to adapt uh, techniques that um, you know have been developed on the modern bow and try to adapt them to uh, an instrument that is anachronistic and then the 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 other part of it has been um, just you know taking advantage of the gut strings Mm -hmm. So, uh, which have a, a very, very um, nice, rich, dark uh, tone that I personally find very, very appealing. Um, but uh, that is maybe less um, evidently usable in the context of uh, Quebecois traditional music, which is often, you know, very driven, very um, um, powerful and very... Um, intense. You've done some interesting collaborations where you've played Baroque violin with modern at the same time mm -hmm. for that timbre. So, but you, then you're tuning to our standard modern tuning. So uh, I, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I'm currently working uh, on this, uh, on these ideas with my colleague and friend Nicolas Babineau. Mm -hmm. um, We've already, um, we've been working together for almost five years now, and uh, we released already two albums, uh, one in 2017, one in 2019, uh, both of which I only played modern violin on. Uh, but last year, um, you know, throughout my research and my work on the, the Baroque instrument, um, and I was talking about it with, with Nico, and we, we kind of realized that we were both very excited to try to bring that those the possibilities of that instrument into the music of our duo. And so we started doing that and we're currently working on a project um, to, to create a concert that will be presented uh, in a few uh, festivals this summer at Memoire Racine in Joliette. Uh, in late uh, August, uh, no, late July, and in late August in Beaumont for um, Esprit de Souche, from in, um, organized by Marie Music. I will also be at uh, Concert des Îles du Bic uh, mm -hmm. for a conference and discussion around that uh, that subject of playing traditional music on the uh, Baroque instrument. And um, uh, indeed, we we. We are doing a lot of work in trying to bring together Nicolas' modern uh, violin and my playing of the Baroque instrument. And it's, uh, it's kind of brought up a lot of very interesting questions 
of um, how to bring together those, you know, those two worlds that seem um, sometimes a little bit incompatible. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's happened is, uh, I mean, you were mentioning tuning. And uh, so I tune uh, the, the Baroque violin a whole step down, you know. So, you know, historically it would have been um, a, uh, an early French uh, tuning. So at mm-hmm. A392 instead of A440. Ah, okay. You know, for me it's very uh, useful because it's exactly um, a whole tone lower than the modern uh, instruments. So when I've worked with Lévy Bourbonnet on harmonica, um, I was just, I was playing, we, we could play together uh, and it could work um, perfectly. So we do some of that with Nico, but Nico is also using uh, a lot of uh, cross-tuning on his violin. And uh, so what ends up happening is that his modern violin is not tuned at all uh, in a standard way, mm-hmm. you know. And the the uh, Baroque violin uh, is tuned usually in a standard way. Some there's a little bit of cross tuning, but less so. Uh, I find it less comfortable to retune the gut strings. They're a little more uh, sensitive than the the modern yeah. nylon uh, strings. But um, yeah, a big part of the show right now. So my 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 uh, Baroque violin is tuned. Um, so from top to bottom, it would be. D G C F, mm-hmm. you know, and Nicholas Fiddle from top to bottom would be F A D F, mm-hmm. so a kind of open D minor, mm-hmm. um, and he's been figuring out how to use that uh, that tuning, and he switches a little bit. Sometimes uh, he plays an E A D E mm-hmm. too, and sometimes I tune up the low string, uh, the, the the low F string up to a G. To get a um, a traditional tuning that we called grondeuse in Quebec. Yeah, I played baroque violin for quite a few years, as mostly chamber music. And um, Bieber wrote quite a few scordatura with really cool tunings. That'd be yeah, fun to try. <laughs> yeah, I mean, cross tuning is is a very important part of uh, most uh, fiddle traditions, mm-hmm. you know, across North America. Um, old-time fiddlers cross-tuned a lot, uh, Acadian fiddlers, uh, Quebecois fiddlers, Métis fiddlers from the prairies. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's really a, a, great, um, a great way to explore, you know, a slightly different um, um, feeling on the instrument and mm-hmm. explore um, uh, different possibilities. It creates often like interesting resonances. Mm-hmm. Um, it it uh, it allows for different harmonic ideas. In Quebec, there's um, a lot of uh, very active fiddlers who love cross tuning to accompany songs. So people like Lisa Arnstein or Pascal Gem, um, they they love to to try you know very uh, very experimental tunings. That allow them to play, um, you know, chords that will um, accompany beautifully traditional singing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a it's a very very interesting tool and a very useful one. So can we hear a bit of your broke violin? Can you play a tune? Sure. Let's see. Yeah. 
I think um, I think I'll play a little reel um, called the Reel des Grands Pieds. It's a tune that um, I've played for many years on the uh, modern violin and uh, can be heard at the very beginning of uh, the first album with uh, Nicola. Um, but and I and I find it interesting to hear the the very huge difference in timbre that we get with the gut strings and the the possibilities that this bow uh, gives us with it. Um, so here, the Rille des Grands Pieds. So beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, so there's so much ornamentation in both hands, it strikes me. And of course, in Baroque times, people were really gifted at uh, improvisation and just uh, all kinds of ornaments. So there's there's that parallel. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, indeed. Um, I mean, ornamentation is, is a very, very important part of b both Baroque uh, uh, violin playing and uh, contemporary fiddling. So um, are there names for all the different, you know, like all the different bow things when you teach it? So the thing with, with naming and kind of categorizing um, and classifying uh, playing is that it, it, is not a, it is not a worry of everyone. 
mm-hmm. um and um it is it is often you know a requirement in academic types of music you know people who who want to create um you know uh, a syllabus maybe or a program or um maybe a um you know a handbook of ornamentation or you know fiddle playing or something uh they have an incentive to name and describe and categorize things um some fiddlers love to do that some uh don't really care for it indeed in my teaching i often have to you know decide on um on a name for things so that uh, maybe i can reference it to my my students um and um i'd say that I mean, in traditional music, there is no overarching authority. And so everyone kind of comes up with their own, you know, names for things, or maybe just with uh, whatever name they heard someone else uh, mention. Mm -hmm. So there's no, there's not a, uh, there's a lot of variety in what people, what what words people are going to use. Uh, But if we listen to the actual techniques, and if we pay attention to what people are actually playing, then we see a lot of commonalities. And, um, you know, there are ornaments specific, you know, to Ireland, to Scotland, uh, to old time music, to Acadian music, to Quebecois music, to Ontarian music, mm-hmm. to Métis music. Um, and um, personally, I've mostly been studying and learning uh, Quebecois ornamentation and Irish ornamentation. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, my, my where my personal preferences went to. Um, but Scottish ornamentation is very very rich. Uh, Cape Breton ornamentation mm-hmm. is very very interesting. Um, and uh, you know, there's really like a wealth of of knowledge and uh, and ideas that we find we can find just by listening to what other people do. And, uh, you know, stealing uh, an ornament after another and sometimes coming up with um, our own personal ways of, of using uh, those ornaments. But if, if there's one thing that I find very important to, to remember regarding ornamentation is that, um, especially in certain forms of academic music, we tend to see ornamentation as the seasoning that gets, you know, sprinkled on top mm. of, of a melody. And what we realize when we dive deep into uh, traditional music, and I think it's probably true of, of Baroque music, but I don't, I'm not an expert in there. But um, what we realize is that ornamentation is structuring. Uh, it, it, it structures the phrasing, it structures the bowing. It, it, you cannot uh, actually take it away, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot take it out of the music. If you do, you get something that um, uh, to to most ears will sound compromised in a way or another. But what's interesting is that you need ornamentation, but you don't need any specific ornamentation. You know, mm-hmm. some some fiddlers will never learn some of the ornaments that every other fiddlers uh, know how to do, mm-hmm. and uh, some fiddlers will have. You know, a few very specific ornaments they do very well and stick to those ones. And some fiddlers will be going around learning every ornament they can um, mm. they can find. 
Uh, and so, and so, it's not really necessarily about learning the right ornaments as much as it being an integral part of the phrasing and of the practice of that music. Mm-hmm. And so, I I often, you know, warn uh, my students about, uh, you know, leaving it for the end, you know, <laughs> leaving it for later. Um, I think it's important to to take it into account as soon as we start. Um, getting interested in a tune or, or in a whole style of, of uh, traditional playing. Mm-hmm. This next track is Deux Airs de Violon with Nicolas Babineau, and on this track, Alexi is playing Baroque violin.
And when you tour, I imagine you must collect tunes a little bit different. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I've never, I've never felt like I was someone who learned a lot of tunes. I tend to, I know I tend to fall in love with tunes and carry them for years and years mm -hmm. uh, and really, um, you know, squeeze as much music as I can out of them. Um, which is why, you know, currently with Nicola, we are working only on repertoire that we've already recorded, uh, but we've changed the, the mm -hmm. instrumentation, we've changed the arrangements. Um, uh, you know, we find tunes uh, in all sorts of places, but there's no bad place. So sometimes it's, you know, tunes we've heard on, on a CD, mm -hmm. uh, tunes we've heard online, tunes we've heard um, on a documentary, um, tunes we've heard in person, you know, someone recording it for us, or uh, tunes we've sought out. Mm -hmm. We've heard someone play something and we've been like, where can I find that? Can you record it for me? Um, I tend to to believe that it's not the, the it's not most important thing is not necessarily where a tune is found. It's really what we do with it uh, afterwards. Mm -hmm. And um, and what I like um, about uh, traditional music is, is specifically that, you know, an oral tradition depends largely on people, you know, passing down melodies, you know, and very often without any recorded or uh, written medium, which means that the, the tune needs to have stayed alive in their head. For at least long enough for someone else to be able to um, to to learn it, and so for me there's something very um, interesting in the idea that you know when when we get access to that repertoire we we know that it it's been interesting enough to someone and that probably to a few people to be carried through you know uh, a few fiddlers and a few generations. Um, and, you know, when then we fall in love with that tune, you know, um, for whatever reason and wherever we found it, um, that's, you know, that's enough for me to, to want to play it and to want to, mm. to want to perform it and share it with other people. Um, I have a question about your training as a classical violinist, cause you did quite a bit of that. I'm sure when you're a teen, you went to an arts high school. Yeah. So I started, um, I started learning violin in uh, private lessons with a, a violinist in Montreal named uh, Diane Plante, mm -hmm. uh, who also played uh, Baroque violin, even though I never studied that with her. But it mm -hmm. was always, you know, around. Uh, I, I knew about those things from a very early age. I started around the age of seven, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and... Um, so I did, what, five, six years of that, and then I went to... Uh, Joseph-François Perrault, so it's a high school, a music high school in the Quartier Saint-Michel in Montreal, a public school that, you know, built uh, its, um, its music program from the ground up from, I think, the 70s or 80s, and it's now, I think, one of the biggest music programs uh, in high school in, in Canada. And, um, and there, I mean, I played, you know, in... in string ensembles, I played in symphony orchestras, and I sang in the choir, 
but mostly I really, really discovered, I just discovered and fell in love uh, with a lot of classical and romantic music. Mm. Um, and that was really, um, uh, for me, I mean, we listened to a little bit of classical music, you know, some uh, Bach partitas and, uh, you know, um, at home, but uh, I didn't know about, um, you know, all the, the, a lot of the yeah late classical and uh, and romantic music and mm -hmm. discovering Beethoven, discovering um, Mahler, discovering a lot of uh, you know Honegger, like a lot of amazing composers, was uh, became like a really 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 um, important part of um, of the music I wanted to listen to and to engage with, and after that I went uh, to Saint Laurent de Cégep in Montreal and. I, I ended up, I uh, was quite lucky to end up in a composition program there. Mm -hmm. um, and I uh, discovered uh, contemporary music and electroacoustic music under the tutelage of an amazing, amazing man called um, Michel Tétro, uh, who's been teaching um, composition almost single-handedly in that program for a few decades now. Uh, yeah. And, um, you know, in Cégep, I didn't play uh, violin uh, anymore. So uh, basically, you know, I, I did 10 years of, uh, mm. of classical violin. Uh, I did traditional music throughout, but on mm. my own and with the people I knew because of, of my upbringing. Um, but I'd say that, you know, discovering the music was as, I, it was more uh, important to me actually in hindsight than um, uh, necessarily performing it mm -hmm. I think um, because I think the, the, the choral repertoire that I sang even though I didn't sing it very well uh, had a, a tremendous impact on, on my music making and um, and so uh, yeah that was a, a very very important part of uh, learning music for me. Mm -hmm. So um, I thank you so much for coming today. And I'm just wondering if you could leave us with a ballad. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting thing. Um, I've been, that's something I've been working on for, I think, probably 10 years now. Um, you know, the traditional music in Quebec is often associated with high energy mm -hmm. dance music. And, um, I was, uh, you know, at the end of, um, uh, of my teenage years, I was longing for some uh, some slower, slower paced music. And part of it was just taking maybe dance tunes and slowing them down a little bit mm -hmm. and changing their mood. But uh, something I also started doing was uh, playing song melodies mm -hmm. on the violin, which is something that is very, very common in Ireland, for example. Uh, but it's not done a lot in Quebec. It 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 does exist. I didn't invent that, but um, it's not part of the common practice of fiddlers um, right now. And that's something I've been always. Uh, I mean, I've been very in inter interested in uh, for yeah the past ten years, and um, and it happened to really really co like coincide well with my interest in the Baroque uh, violin because the the kind of phrasing we can do with the Baroque bow, mm -hmm. uh, the kind of tone we can get from the God string, 
uh, lent itself so so nicely and naturally to uh, some of these uh, these slow songs that I've been uh, carrying for uh, for a few years now. So um, yeah, I could uh, I could play a little um, little complaint. Uh, so a traditional melody that uh, I've stripped of its words, um, but I feel like there are um, there there's a, an interesting depth and um, you know subtlety in in the in how much singers could put in those melodies that could seem oversimplistic to certain people at first glance. Um, and um, you know, and I think that maybe some of the the narration, the narrative uh, component of of these song melodies gets distilled in uh, in the notes that are left when you take the words uh, away. So uh, yeah, you can try that. Thank you so much, Alexi. Thank you for having me. I hope you enjoyed this episode. There's such a fascinating variety to life and music, and this series features wonderful musicians worldwide with in-depth conversations and great music with over 100 episodes to explore. Many episodes feature guests playing music spontaneously as part of the episode or sharing performances and albums. I hope that the inspiration and connection found in a meaningful creative life, the challenges faced, and the stories from such a diversity of artists will draw you into this weekly series with many topics that will resonate with all listeners. Please share your favorite episodes with your friends and do consider supporting this independent podcast. The link is in the description. Have a great week.